You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Wentz from the shotgun, takes the snap. Here comes the rush. Wentz gets hit by Frank Clark, and Clark slams him down. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and ten, the play fake. Russell looks, going to lay it up for the end zone. Doug Baldwin reaches out, makes the catch. Is he in? He is. Touchdown, Seahawks. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to the Seahawks Insiders Podcast as the Seahawks get ready for another divisional matchup, this one at home against the Los Angeles Rams. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the Seattle Seahawks alongside John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Hello, John. Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm fantastic, and I'm feeling so much better about things. Maybe I'm overstating a 2-2 two and two record. Maybe I should pay attention more as to, you know, kind of how that game ended last week against the Cardinals. But I really like where the team's sitting, and I feel like it's a pretty good spot going into the game against the Rams. Yeah, I mean, look, you played three of your first four on the road. We're starting to see that Denver and Chicago are both pretty good teams. So you don't want to start 0-2, but they did. That's what they were. And then you bounce back, and you win two in a row. You take care of two games you should. I mean, you want to win at home as much as you can. You caught a struggling Arizona team. But that rookie quarterback, Josh Rosen, improved their offense quite a bit. He was better than his numbers because of some drops. Yes. So, you know, I think we're going to see down the road that Arizona is not the awful team everyone thinks they are just based on a slow start. So it's, you know, a road win, especially in the division. I don't care how ugly it looks. That's a good result. Well, and it's not just a road win. The Seahawks have played three of their first four games exactly. on the road this season. That's tough. And I know people would say, well, why does that matter? Football is football. The field is the same. I understand that part, and it's just different. Yes. It, it is a grind coming out of training camp. It is a grind to go on the road. It does shorten your week of preparation to some degree. And if you've ever spent significant amount of time in hotel rooms and beds that are not your own at home, it's not all that much fun or glamorous. And I, I would argue football more than any sport the fans and the noise can have a direct result yes. on performance. And we see, I mean, last year's kind of an aberration, and maybe we can touch on this later where the Seahawks weren't great at home. But you look at all their successful years in the past, they're a team that goes 8-0, goes 7-1 and at home, and that's been a big part of their recipe for success over the years. It makes a difference. So to go out and get a win on the road in the NFL is hard. I don't care who the opponent is. Yeah, although it does make it even better that it was a divisional opponent. Of course, you've got another division opponent this week. And look, when you look at the Rams record, they're 4-0. And there's a lot of good things about this Rams team. And I'm not going to short sell them. We will talk about the numbers that make them so good. Let's also point out that they have played three of their first four games at home. And their road trip was what? To Oakland? Not far. And Seattle's not even that far for these guys. So it, it is it is a bit more of a grind when you have to be on the road, and I think the Rams have taken advantage, as they should, with the early schedule that they were handed. Yeah, look, they're a really good team, and they've done some amazing things. They were the number one offense in the NFL right now, so no one's taking anything away from them. But, you know, they, they still got to come up here, and, you know, this Seahawks team is going to be ready and be motivated. You know, we all know what happened last year. I'm sure a lot of players are – hoping to kind of make that right. So I, I think this game is going to be a pretty interesting one. Yeah, and, you know, when you talk about coming up here, the Seahawks defense is going to be ready, but the Seahawks defense is also going to be without little Earl Thomas. Yes. And they will still be without K.J. Wright, who is not back yet from his knee surgery. But certainly the talking point in the press conferences this week, in the locker room this week when we talk to the guys is, you know, what happens without Earl? And I would say that for as much as you miss Earl, if I have to find a silver lining – because this is what I try to do, 
I would say it's not the first time they're going to be without Earl. Exactly. And you had training camp. Exactly. This isn't a case of, you know, like when Earl got hurt a couple of years ago, you plug Steven Terrell in there. That was really the first playing time Terrell was getting at that spot other than some practice, you know, throughout the year. Tedrick Thompson was the number one free safety throughout camp, all the preseason games. He got a ton of reps with that defense. And then Earl came back, and understandably, Earl went back to being the starter because, look, this is an all-pro, you know, potential Hall of Fame caliber guy. So unfortunate for Tedrick that he lost his starting job, but he had a lot of experience there. And, you know, with that dime package they've been using, he's been getting game reps, not, you know, not every play, but he's out there a dozen, 15 plays a game. So this is a guy with some experience under his belt for having not started. Also characterized very differently than Stephen Terrell was characterized. You know, if you if you were asked to describe Stephen Terrell, it would have been, you know, kind of technically sound. He knew how to play the position, and he was technically sound at playing it. If you were asked to describe Tedrick Thompson, you could describe him as a playmaker. Yeah. I mean, the week that Earl Thomas came back to practice, he had, what, four interceptions in practice that week, according to Bobby. You know, this is a guy that – um, stylistically might match Earl. And I know that it's a little bit blasphemous to say that anybody could match Earl, but at least stylistically and playmaking can do some of what you're used yeah. to see. I mean, it's not fair to say Tedrick Thompson is going to come in and be Earl Thompson. Of course I mean, not. We're, we're, again, we're talking about one of the best safeties of his generation, but this is a guy they thought very, high, very highly of drafted him in the middle rounds a couple of years ago. And, you know, I, I asked Bradley McDougal what, what stands out about him. And he said his range, you know, he'll go from the middle field to making plays on the sideline. That sounds kind of like That's, you know, what, what we're Earl. used to seeing in Earl. So, again, no one's expecting him to beat Earl Thomas, but they feel really good about what they have there. This isn't a, you know, oh, gosh, we got to just put somebody out there. It's, it's a player they're excited about. Well, and I know that people are really going to be tracking those yards per play because when Earl Thomas has been in the game – Teams have averaged about five yards per play when he has not been in the game. It has been about 7.8 yards per play. That would be among the lowest in the league. I will caution that's a pretty small sample size. I was just about to say that, so and I'll let you caution. A lot of the yards in that, we're talk, most of that came on one drive that Earl sat out, a touchdown drive. The big play in that drive was not Tedrick Thompson's fault. The big touch. I believe that was a long touchdown they scored on. I on believe the crosser, so, maybe. and I want to say it was a linebacker who lost. It was not. I mean, look, maybe Earl sees something and makes a play to minimize the damage of that play, but it was going to be a big game no matter what. That wasn't on Tedrick. So, yeah. you know, again, he's not Earl Thomas, but let's not just look at those numbers and assume it's going to be a three yards per play difference in the game. Yeah. When you talk about small sample size, it was just 20 plays that the Seahawks have played without Earl Thomas this year, but you're going to have plenty of plays and plenty of opportunities for that defense. Because as you mentioned, the Rams have the best offense in the NFL. They have scored 30. They have scored more than 30 points in all four of their games this year. And they have run a total of 254 offensive plays they can pass the ball. They can run the ball. And I don't know which – I know the answer is you shut down the run game first, except that's tough to do when it's Todd Gurley. Yeah. And, you know, it's – this is probably oversimplifying it a lot, but the game the Seahawks won in L.A., they held Gurley to two-point-something carry, 40-some rushing yards. I should have those numbers, but I'm rounding them off. But anyway, they they kept him in check. What You know, came up here, he rushed for 150. So, you know, And four but, touchdowns, I think. But, yeah. yeah. Again, it's it's more complicated than that, but that's a big part of it. It always starts there. 
The other thing, though, we've heard a lot from coaches, players, is the big plays. This Rams offense is very explosive in their passing game. So in addition to trying to control their running game, and more, you know, we're talking about the new free safety. That's gonna a lot of that's gonna fall on Tedder because you just can't. You know, they're gonna get some yards, they're gonna get some plays, but you can't have those big long touchdown plays that we've seen the Rams have a bunch of. Yeah, it's uh, it has been I think just a embarrassment of riches for Jared Goff and what he's had. And when you look at the Rams last week against the Vikings, and you hear guys like Cooper Cup say, every time we lined up, we had the matchup that we were looking for. And I think that's scary, except that when you talk to the to the defense, again, oversimplifying it, but the way that you counter that is just by being di- disciplined and reading your keys. And as Bradley McDougal told me this week, you know, if you see everything, you're actually seeing nothing at all. See a little, see a lot. And so it's not a matter of watching all of their different crazy offensive formations and their, their jet sweeps and all of these things. Just look at your guy. Look at the one guy you need to stop and key off of him. Yeah, and it's you know they will they will try to make it complicated. We saw, as you mentioned in the, in the Vikings game, they they were they did a good job getting receivers on linebackers, all those kind of matchups. So it's going to be a big test for the defense. But what does that say for the Seahawks offense as we flip it around? Because that Vikings game, I kept looking at that and I'm like, wait a second, you know, it looks it looks a little bit like a Big Sky football game, which I cover and I say with love, but they don't play a whole lot of defense in the Big Sky. No, the Vikings offense moved the ball really well. There's going to be opportunities there for the Seahawks offense. There's a lot of talent on that Rams defense, but they're also a little beat up, especially in the secondary. You know, it's kind of cliche to say it starts at the line of scrimmage, but that, you know, we've seen when the Seahawks offense struggles against the Rams, it's that defensive line just wrecking things. Aaron Donald, Brockers, all those guys. Now they've added Indomitian Sioux. But we've seen some growth from this offensive line. They've played well the last couple weeks. If they can, I'm not saying dominate the game, but allow that offense to function how it wants to, then I think there's going to be big opportunities for Russell Wilson in the running game and the passing game. You know, I think we're going to see some points. I think we have also seen the offensive line, which will stay the same this week, even though Ethan Posick is available and practicing. What the Seahawks are going to use Posick for is some versatility. Should anybody get hurt or should you just need to send somebody in for a couple of snaps? Which means that J.R. Sweezy will stay at left guard and you still have D.J. Fluker in there at right guard. And when you Consider the Rams are running that 3-4 defense, and I know that Indomitian and Sue can line up at nose guard, but what they've started to do with him in the last couple of weeks is put him at left end and put Aaron Donald on the right side, and then they just kind of pinch in, and whoever gets to the quarterback first gets to the quarterback first. Why are JR and and DJ, I needed to get those initials correctly. There's too correctly. Many initials. I wait, know. Wait till JD McKissick no, is back. It's gonna, no, uh, I yeah. can't. My brain does I, when not I work write, that the way. The initials throw me off. And we got a KJ. There's too many initials. We just We're start just going by names. Either no that or numbers. One of the two. But why are those two capable of stopping those guys in ways that maybe. I don't want to say less experienced or, or not as. I don't know. But it seems like this offensive line is is more prepared to yeah, handle I that. I mean, you mentioned the word right there, experience. This is that, especially that interior line, and then you throw Dwayne Brown in, obviously, at left tackle. It's as experienced as a group as they've had in a long time. I mean, J.R. Sweezy started a ton of games, a lot of them here, and Fluker's been a starter most of his career. Britt's now in his third year at center, so he keeps getting better. And look, they're just a big physical group as well. I mean, we talked about Fluker a bunch, just what a massive human he is, but... Jerry Sweezy's a big, strong, athletic guy, too. So I think, you know, again, I don't expect them to go out and dominate Aaron Donald. This is, you know, an all-pro player. But I think they are much 
better equipped both in terms of experience and just physical ability than they've than that line has been in a long time. The offensive line has been keeping Russell upright for the most part, and they faced some pretty tough tests in the last couple of weeks. And I'm curious, what did we see from the Seahawks? Because when you look at the game plan against the Cardinals, look, I know that fans thought that game was going to go differently. But what did we see, at least as far as some of those, you know, read-keep options where you show just a little bit more to put a little bit more on film, but there's still a lot out there? Yeah, I was kind of curious. They they ran a, a decent amount of those, and at one point I actually turned to a person sitting next to me in the press box and was like, Russ has got to keep one of these. It was literally the next one they ran. It was like a 12-yard gain. And y- that's a big part. Look, Russell wasn't going to run for more yards than he has so far this year, but just showing it makes a big difference. And look, I, Pete Carroll kind of hinted at this. I know people expected more out of the offense last week and maybe some bigger plays, more points, whatever. It was really important for them to get the running game going, and I think they were willing to kind of sacrifice a little bit of overall offense to establish the identity they want. And I think we'll see it kind of balance out a little more. They'll take more shots in the passing game. But they wanted to really get it going, and they did. Look, they, they averaged over five yards of carry in that game. You had Mike Davis was going crazy. So, you know, they knew that they could probably get through that game and manage it without having to show too much offensively. I think they just – the flip side of that is they know they'll probably have to do more this week. Yeah, and I was looking for the numbers. I want to say that in the last couple of games, the Seahawks have run it a total of – 90 times, something like that. It's in the 70s. Okay. Well, then don't trust. Don't listen to anything that I say. say I cannot find the number. I want to say it's 73 times. Actually, you know what? It's 73. I just found the number. It's on my sheet. 73 times. Back to back 100. Can you say for the record, I don't have that in front of me. For the record, I just pulled that right out of my head. John Boyle knew that right off the top of his head. Because I wrote it yesterday. Meanwhile, I was trying to add about 17 carries to that. Don't pay any attention to me at all. And yet, for as much as we talk about the run game, and you have to have the run game going so that you can get guys off of the wide receivers, Rams opponents have thrown for 990 yards this season. 990. Yeah, they've given up over 50 points the last two games. Again, I think there's opportunities, as talented as that Rams defense is, with, you know, they don't have Tlaib, Peters might not be full, Full speed. We'll see how he is after they get a little extra rest coming off Thursday. But there are opportunities for for plays to be made for this offense. Why haven't we talked about the wide receivers more this year? In part, just they haven't got you know the targets they probably. We've talked about Tyler Lockett some. He got off to a great start. He you know he had the three touchdowns, including two fifty plus yarders. You know Doug's getting back. You know we'll see more of him. I think, and we'll be talking about him more. But. You know, I just think for the most part, it's been an opportunity, especially the, these last two weeks with, as we just talked about, them kind of focused on getting the run going. It's it's limited some of the opportunities. But with Doug healthy, you know, I think we're going to start to see that group doing more. How do you think the Seahawks have addressed, or how do you know the Seahawks have addressed their third downs uh, after going 0 for 10 last week? <laughs> that was a weird 0 for 10. Cause they, it was. They weren't, you know, this wasn't, the, the first game they were 2 for 12, because they got sacked a bunch. They had all these long situations. At one point, Russell Wilson f- was four for four in terms of completing passes on third down, and they didn't convert any of them. I talked to Doug Baldwin about that after the game. He took the blame for some of that, said he could have you know, fought for an extra yard, extended the ball, run the route a little differently. So He had I, two that came up yeah, one th- yard short. He had short. two in the first half yes. that were a yard short of the sticks. It was a curious I, – I don't know what to make of that, but, I, you know, 
I feel better about that 0 for 10 than I did the first two weeks when they started on third down because they were third and really long. Yeah, and they were actually moving the ball, and they did get a fourth down conversion. Yeah. And there were just some interesting It, it was a things. weird game offensively. Yeah, absolutely. It really and uh, it doesn't surprise me at all because it's a Cardinals game, and just like it won't surprise me if there's something fluky that happens against the Rams because something fluky always happens against the Rams. And among the injuries that the Rams are dealing with is actually one to their kicker. It doesn't look like Greg Zerline's going to be back. He's been dealing with a groin injury. The guy that they had brought in just got cut this week because he's missed a couple of field goals. They so brought in new, the fact it, that they cut a guy and signed a new guy sure points to Zerline not playing. Yeah, you don't exactly. make that move if you think Zerline's back. Yes. yes. Thank you again for that very clever Kyle observation. Santos, correct? Is that the I, guy they brought I in? I believe Former they did. Former Kansas City Chiefs kicker. Yes. But, you know, look, and he is a – he is a great kicker who's been around the league for a long time. But if the game comes down to it, you're also working with a new holder and a snapper in the same week. And that could end up to be one of those yeah. kind of fluky things. And we that... should probably dedicate a lot of this podcast to the punter battle coming up. I mean, we're talking about the established all pro best punter in the conference and then the new kid on the block. Okay. Are we done? Is that all? Is that, I'm, I'm I think curious to how much more you would like to talk about that and go in depth I, on know, it. I just, I'm enjoying all the punter hype. So. Oh. But, uh, yeah, that's really all do there is. Do you think punters enjoy that? Like, do you think that they want people to pay attention to them? Or do you think that part of their charm is... It depends on the punter. Are, jo- I, Johnny Hecker, I think, enjoys it. He has fun with it. You know, they, they use him yeah. on the trick plays, and he gets a little more attention for throwing touchdowns occasionally. Oh, well, I'm Local sh- kid, you know. I, so. Yeah. I'm sorry, I got us off track, but I just... You did get us off track, especially when there's something else that I really want to bring up. And this is just kind of a general kind of a statement, and I haven't had a chance to talk about this, but when Brian Schottenheimer came in and we were asking him about his offensive philosophies and who's impacted you the most and how did you learn the game, one of the players that he brings up is Isaac Bruce, who we know not from L.A., but we know from the Rams that we would go to see him. St. Louis. Anyway, I thought it was interesting, and we haven't talked that much about Shadi, and we'll just spend a couple of minutes on where he's willing to get input from. Because even Pete Carroll said this week when talking about the Rams, just because somebody coached in high school or it's a play borrowed from a high school playbook does not mean that it's not a good play. And I thought in talking to Schottenheimer, it was interesting how he's allowed players to give input and how he recognizes the value that they can bring. He doesn't have to be the only guy talking in the room. Yeah, that story you mentioned, you know, he talked about early in his career that he realized that some of these veteran players, especially back then when he was a young coach, they they knew things that he didn't. They'd seen things he hadn't. So, you know, a good coach is going to be open-minded and understand that, you know, Doug Baldwin out there has a ton of experience under his belt. He might see something on the field that Brian Schottenheimer is not able to catch on the sideline. So, um, you know, bigger picture, I would just kind of caution. I think there's been a lot of overreaction to the offense so far, and it's it's been a month. And this is a team that notoriously starts a lot slower than it finishes. A quarterback who finishes a lot stronger. So I, I guess I would just suggest we hold off judgment for a little longer than four games. Oh, absolutely. Was I suggesting that I was no, criticizing but you, the offense? No, I was not. Oh, gosh. You did not suggest that, but just you bring up Schottenheimer kind of. I know Set that me down people, that road. Look, yeah, and, and I would agree. And it's so easy to overreact after every single game. Well, if you start looking at the fact that the Seahawks had one rushing touchdown by a quarterback last year, or quarterback, running by back. a running back, 
They've had three this year. You've had back-to-back 100-yard rushers. You didn't have that last year. There are definitely ways. And look, it's not the sexiest way to get the job done. But for everything that fans wanted last year, you've gotten it for the last two weeks. So let's just see where this goes. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of playing the long game here. I think this offense is going to be, you know, not not at its very best this week, but I think we're going to start to see some some growth now. That they I, I really think it was important, as I said earlier, they wanted to get that running game going first and foremost. And now that they've kind of felt that, that that can be a part of their offense, I think we're going to see them start to get into some more stuff. Yep, absolutely. And I think the fans are going to play a big role on Sunday. Come on, fans. You've only had one home game. We need you to be out there because we know that you impact the game. As the Seahawks look to get over 500 for the first time this season and, of course, look to take care of a division opponent and hand the Rams their first loss of the season. We know the Miami Dolphins team from 72 is keeping an eye on this one. They got their champagne ready. They got, a, they got a couple of teams that they are eyeing so that they can pop the champagne on that one, which I wish we could do every week on this podcast. Maybe I will bring this up Let's to the producer. a sponsor, maybe. How about that? Yeah. We'll talk about that. After we get off this podcast, that's John Boyle. I'm Jen Mueller. He's got you covered on Seahawks.com. You can listen to me on the sidelines along with uh, Dave Wyman, Steve Rabel, and John Clayton this weekend. We will be back next week.